What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. As always, my name is Caleb Rutherford, the host, and I am so appreciative, so grateful that we have another opportunity this week to sit down and to open up the Word of God and to study from it. I'm grateful, uh, like I say, every single episode to be a part of the Scattered Abroad Network. Um, Just a plug for us here, go to scatteredabroad.org, find out all the information you need to know about. Uh, our network, um, all, all the good stuff, all the links and all that stuff will be in the show notes below. I'm just appreciative and thankful for the opportunity uh, to be here. We are on every major podcast platform. You know, we have episodes that go up every single week from different podcasts, and uh, we're just uh, just plugging right along. Got a lot of good stuff uh, continued uh, to be planned for this year. Got a lot of things going on, but just, uh, just grateful that you're here along for the journey with us. Uh, so thank you so much for being with me today. We are Continuing our series in the book of Second Peter, uh, specifically verses 1 through 11, uh, talking about this idea of Christian living. What does it look like? What does it mean? What should you and I do? And, and how should we live as Christians? What is Christian living? And we've talked about a couple of ideas so far, uh, but today I want to open up another two-part series on the word self-control. Yet another Christian grace, another virtue, uh, another... Uh, characteristic and attribute uh, that, that we can use uh, to, to add into our lives. Um, we've, over the course of this season so far, we've looked um, at kind of some context things, uh, talk, talking about Peter, some history uh, behind the book. Uh, we've looked at uh, faith, righteousness, grace, peace, corruption, promises, faith, virtue, knowledge, a lot of stuff. Obviously, if this is the very first episode you're listening to, you've missed a lot. Uh, so if you want to, go back to the very beginning of this and you can find out, uh, kind of start, I guess, at the beginning of our journey and meet us here at this point. Uh, but I want you to think about a couple of things here as we begin to talk about this idea uh, of self-control. When I think about the word self-control, and I guess through definition, through gr- the Greek definition of the word used here, uh, it, it's it's this word that means someone who holds himself in uh, to keep one's desires under control and the ability, this is interesting, the ability to master one's own life, the ability to master one's own life. And I thought that was just really interesting to think about. Because when I think about self-control, uh, it's essentially a an ability to have a command over your desires. Uh, it's the ability to keep your wants, your wishes, your impulses, your inclinations uh, at bay. You're right. You're able to to control those things, to have a rule and a reign over everything in your life. But usually when we talk about self-control, we're talking about things uh, of a sinful nature. Um, So we activate our self-control over our lust in this life. Um, And it's because we, and we activate them because oftentimes it's those temptations that arise, right? The opportunity to do something wrong is presented. The opportunity to transgress the law of God, to go against our creator. Um, So do we give in or do we allow our self-control to take over. Now, it's interesting. Um, it's an interesting thought when you think about specific lists in the Bible um, that contain really godly characteristics. And one of those places is in Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians 5, 22 and 23, you're reading about the uh, what we call the fruit of the Spirit. And the word self-control there is used amongst those characteristics that we need to possess. But then also, right here in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, the Christian graces that we're studying. And in both lists, do Peter and Paul both cover the topic of self-control. So it's important for the Christian, 
to have self-control. Because if you think about it, if you have someone who lacks self-control, they, and I say they, but we in general, will fall prey to every single temptation that the devil throws at us. Think, think about your life and some of the mistakes that you have made. Some of the sins that you have committed, things I know that probably some of them are difficult to think about, but just think about them. Why did you do what you did? Why did you transgress the law of God? Why did you commit that spiritual crime? Well, because you gave in to the temptation and you didn't show forth a self-control. Think about every sin, every mistake, every wrong choice you've ever made. You, it happened because you didn't exhibit the self-control that you should have had. However, you and I need to make sure we don't let our mistakes, we don't let our pasts, uh, those sins, uh, to allow us to give up. We've all done things in our past that we're not proud of. We've all done things that we know we shouldn't have done. Um, and we don't allow those things to get, to make us give up or to define who we are today. Well, the question is, why? Well, notice this quote. In no instance, instance is one excused for giving in to anger or any other temptation. The first steps to becoming a person of self-control is to admit that it is a realistic expectation. You read through the Bible, time and time again, we see examples of individuals falling prey to temptation, don't we? Individuals who are lacking the ability to exhibit self-control. Never once, not a singular time, not one time in Scripture, is it ever, quote-unquote, okayed or is it allowed or, or is it uh, approved or is it uh, something that is set up on a pedestal and said oh look these people didn't uh, hold to their convictions they gave in to the temptation they didn't like they lack self-control so you can't do never, never once do we read about that and yet what do we also see we also see example after example after example of individuals fighting to overcome temptation through the exhibiting of self-control are you struggling with something right now? Are, are, are you going through a difficulty, maybe an addiction, or maybe something that's plaguing your life? I think we all have things perhaps in our lives that nag at us, that we wish were never there. Strengthen your faith. And within that, within doing that, strengthen your self-control. It seems like an elementary concept, doesn't it? It seems like it's something that's so childlike. Something that is so um, so simple, and yet it's something that we all need to continue sharpening, isn't it? I want to look at a couple of things. Uh, in this particular episode, I want to look at some examples of individuals who lacked self-control. Individuals who lacked self-control, who did what they should not have done. Um, and then next week, we're going to look at examples of self-control, and then we're going to end that episode with some practical tips. So today, just for this episode, we're going to look at um, some examples of individuals who lacked self-control. So we're going to look at the bad first, uh, but then next week we will close out with the good. I want you to go to Genesis chapter 3 if you have an opportunity. If not, I'm going to read it here. Uh, but in Genesis chapter 3, we read about an individual by the name of Eve. Now, let's just set the stage here for just a moment. Creation has just taken place, right? Creation has taken place. God said everything was very good. You get to chapter 2, 21 through 22, God creates woman from man. Man's already been created. You get to verse 24, the command there, man shall leave and cleave, and the two shall become one flesh. But then you begin to read about a different scenario. Notice here in verse 1. 
Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Uh, let's think about a couple of things here as we talk about this for just a moment. Think about the living conditions of where they are. They're in the Garden of Eden. Quote, unquote, paradise. What else did man need? They had food for nourishment. They were to tend the garden for work and for exercise. They were learning from the plants, from the animals, man and woman. They were there for companionship. What else did these individuals need? Absolutely nothing. They didn't need anything at all. Nothing at all. And yet, what do they do? What do they do? They allow themselves, because of a lack of self-control, they allow themselves to get kicked out of the place that provided them with everything that they needed. Now, I'm not taking at all away uh, from the role that Satan played in this. All right, he possesses the serpent, he twists the words of God, he tempts Eve, he brings God down, he takes Eve up, quote-unquote, making her think that she could be like him. Uh, he implies that God was not being fair because of the no access to all, of the, to all the trees. Uh, and Eve listened um, and thus opened the door for Satan. He went against the truth of God by twisting his words. In fact, Peter talks about people who twist the words of God, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 17. And afterwards, he lies and he says, God doesn't want you to be like him. That's why he doesn't want you to eat this tree. So he tears apart the goodness of God. He, he then tears apart the truthfulness of God and then the unselfishness of God. You see, when, when it comes to the devil, and this is a whole other topic, but when it comes to the devil, he will go to whatever lengths to get you to do what it is that he wants, won't he? So Satan presents an opportunity for Eve to exhibit self-control. He says, here's a fruit. You should eat it. It will make you like God. And Eve, tempted to do it, gives into this, gives into that temptation. Doesn't showcase the self-control. She fails, and where does it get her? Does it get her to become like God? No. It brings her shame and fear, and it sends her into hiding. You see, that's what giving into your temptation does. It never provides you with that which it is promising. It doesn't provide that which it promises. It always gives you something that you don't want to have and that makes your life more difficult. Go to Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. I want to talk about a man by the name of Achan. And again, let's do a little bit of context talking here. In Joshua chapter 6, the Israelites have just conquered Jericho. They have just come off of this great spiritual victory, this great spiritual high. They have gone into a battle where they never should have had any business being. They never should have won that battle. And yet because God was on their side, they walked around the walls of Jericho and the walls came down and they conquered the city. Well, you get into chapter 7 and guess what? They go into battle against Ai without God. 
They don't take God with them. They don't go to him for counsel. They don't take the Ark of the Covenant with them. Um, and there's sin in the midst of them. And if they had, if Joshua had known that, none of this would have ever happened. But Joshua didn't go and grab counsel from God, get counsel from God. Uh, and, and so they go into Ai and they're defeated. They lose some 36 men. And so you get to verse 2 through verse 5. Um, and this is, again, just context. Basically, in all of their wisdom and their recent success, what do they do? They say, look, we don't even need our entire army. We don't even need everybody here. Just we only need a few men. And so they were confident. Their confidence being placed in the wrong place. Uh, unfortunately, it was in themselves and not in God. We've defeated Jericho, they say. Uh, but they go to Ai, they lose 36 men, and they are defeated. Well, you get to verses 6 through verse 15 of Joshua chapter 7. Uh, and Joshua finally consults with God. He knows something is amiss. He knows something is wrong. He knows something is out of place, but he doesn't quite know what it is. So he tears his clothes. He falls on his face before God. And I think sometimes we find ourselves facing consequences of not a good decision. And we think about, I don't know, it's, it's been, I've been heard it said this way before. Sometimes this, you may be through with sin, but sin may not be through with you. You put it in the past, right? You get forgiveness. You get uh, the compassion and, and, and the cleansing of the blood of Jesus. But you still have to deal with the consequences sometimes, don't you? Joshua is wanting to know why the terrible consequences. Why are all of these things happening? And oftentimes, what's the first thing we say? Well, God, God, why didn't you? Or God, why did you? Where were you? I think sometimes we're so quick, aren't we? Uh, to throw the blame on God for consequences of our actions. But before we play the game, or excuse me, blame the game, always self-analyze. Because it will always reveal who the real culprit is. And it's never going to reveal God. Sometimes you and I just simply need to be broken and defeated in order to build ourselves back up sometimes, don't we? In verses 16 through 26, we read about the sin and the consequence of Achan. And essentially what Joshua does is here, he, he's filtering through tribe by tribe. Why is this process going on? Well, it's, it's almost like Joshua is giving Achan the opportunity to fess up. And what does Achan do? Well, he doesn't do it. And it's, it's almost like God's finger is getting closer and closer and closer. And then it just, boom, lands on the problem. When I, when I think about that, if there is sin in your life, the finger of God's getting closer and closer and closer to it, isn't it? And then one day it's going to be too late. You get to verse 21, Achan's to blame. We know that. He, he's to blame because he stole the spoils from war. Verses six, uh, chapter 6, verse 19 says that it was silver, gold, bronze, and iron. He took all of those things. He buried them under his tent only to get caught and then to never be able to do anything with them. You see, that's what sin does, isn't it? It shows a lack of self-control. And it gets you into trouble. You go through the trouble to hide it to conceal it, and then it profits you what? Nothing. It grants you and gives you nothing. And in fact, it will always lead you to punishment and death. So what's the result uh, of Achan's lack of self-control? Well, he lost his possessions. Not only what he stole, but he and his entire family lost their lives. Notice with me verse 11. <laughs> well, let's back up to verse 10. So the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things, and have both stolen and deceived, and they have also put it among their own stuff. 
Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turn their backs before their enemies, because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore, unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Get up, sanctify the people, and say, Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in your midst. O Israel, you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought before your brought according to your tribes, uh, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to families, and the family which the Lord shall take which, which the Lord takes shall come by the by households, and the household which the Lord takes shall come man by man. Then it shall be that he who is taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire. He and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. Verse 11, God knows my sins, doesn't he? Verse 11, God hates my sins. Now, he doesn't hate me, he doesn't hate you, but he hates the sin. Verse 11, my sin affects those around me. Verse 12, sin hinders the the work of the camp. The people failed because of one person. For those of us in the Lord's church, sin hinders the work of the camp, of the church, doesn't it? Verse 14, there are consequences for my sins. One more example. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11, and this just truly is a sad, sad story. The kings are out to battle, and I know you know this story. The kings are out to battle. For some reason, David stays behind. I really don't know why. He couldn't sleep, so he walks onto the roof, and he saw Bathsheba bathing. So he asks around to figure out who she is. He, he finds out, sends for her to come to him. And I'm not dismissing Bathsheba because there seems to be no hesitation uh, unwillingness on her part. She she was in a place where she was bathing, where people could see her. I mean, th- there's there's mistakes on her part as well. But when you get to both of them, adultery is committed, a child is conceived. And if you continue reading, David lies, as doth, does Bathsheba. He kills Uriah, and then he continues to lie. And what is the result of their actions? Well, the death of the child. Because of their lack of self-control. Specifically, David, a child died. The lack of self-control, my friends, will never put you in a better situation. In fact, it will always make things worse for you. 1 John 2 and verse 16, for all that's in the world. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Each example of Eve, Achan, and David. Each saw the fruit, each saw the fruit, the spoils, Bathsheba. Each wanted, coveted, and then each took it and divulged. The lack of self-control will always separate you from God. It burns bridges, it burns relationships, and it never does anyone any good when you lack self-control. Now, I know this episode was a little bit of a, a downer, perhaps. Uh, we looked at some bad examples um, of those who lacked self-control. Next week, we're going to flip the script. We're going to turn that coin over, and we're going to go to the other end of the spectrum. And we're going to look at uh, individuals who showcased self-control. Thing, they, they did good. Um, and then we're going to look at four different things that I think are very practical to help us 
manage uh, the temptations and as and, and to help showcase more self-control in our lives as we go forth. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I've enjoyed doing this series of lessons of episodes here on this podcast this season as we're continuing to talk about transforming into Christian living. I'm so appreciative of you all. Thank you so much for being with us and may God bless you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on the Scattered Abroad Network. We are grateful for your continued support as well as your continued prayers. If you would like to find out more about our network, please visit our website at scatteredabroad.org. We look forward to studying with you again soon. May God bless you.